Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning to worship God together. If you will go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 6, please. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. <clears throat> we're going to be looking at the first, really the first eight verses of, the, of this chapter, the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 6. As we study this, hopefully we're going to see some things about God in this chapter. We're going to see some things about ourselves in this chapter. We're going to see what God can do with us, what God can do for us, and then hopefully we will see what our, our response to that should be. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. <clears throat> like I said, one of, the, one of the things I hope we're going to see from this passage this morning <clears throat> is I hope we're going to see who God is. And we get, we, get a <clears throat> we get a very clear picture of that. Isaiah was given a very clear vision of this or experience of this that he recounts to us in this chapter. Because he, he is brought into the throne room of the king. That, that, that's where, that is what Isaiah is seeing here. He is seeing God on his throne, God in his throne room. And we're given some details about God that, that Isaiah sees here. <clears throat> First, we're simply given just what he is called. He says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. And you think about what that term means, Lord. God has called various things throughout Scripture. <clears throat> Lord being one of the very common one of the very common things that He has called. And the idea of Lord is, is simply one who is a ruler. And so right off the bat, right off of how, how Isaiah refers to God, He is the Lord. He is the ruler. And this is this title is just continued continues to be emphasized throughout this description. He says, I saw the Lord, and where is the Lord? Where does Isaiah, where does Isaiah see him? Well, he's sitting on a throne. Who, 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 who sits on thrones? I, I don't sit on a throne. I, I have a desk chair. That's where I sit. I, I don't sit on a throne. I don't think anybody here sits on a throne. It's because a, a throne is reserved for the king. A king is, is the kind of person who, you'll, who you will find on a throne. And so Isaiah here, he sees the Lord sitting on his throne. He sees God as king. He sees God as king. 
God as the ultimate authority. Not not only is he sitting on a throne, but he he is lofty and exalted. Some translations say he, he sees him high and lifted up. He sees the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. He's not just a king. He he is the king. There is none like him. He is high and lifted up. He is above everything and above everyone. He is not like me. He is not like any other king. He is is in a league of his own. He, He is the lofty and exalted king. And for multiple reasons, I think we in this time and place in America really struggle, really struggle to grasp the gravity of this picture, because we we don't have a king. We the, we we made it very clear from the beginning of this uh, from from the the beginning of this country's history that that we didn't want a king. Our ruler is chosen from among us, and that's kind of the point, right? The idea is that at the end of the day, they're chosen from among us, so really they're just kind of like the rest of us. And, you know, if we don't like one, then we'll kick them out after four years and put somebody else in from among us. That's kind of how this, that, that's how we do things in this country, at least. We don't have a king. We don't have someone who, whether you like it or not, is sitting on that throne and will be sitting on that throne until the, day, until the day that they die. We don't have someone who has ultimate authority, who cannot be challenged by anyone or any organization in, in his country. We don't have anything like that. And we, in fact, we kind of cringe at the idea of someone holding that level of power, that level of authority. But that's what Isaiah sees here with God. He, he is the king. He is high and lifted up. There is, he is nothing like us. He is nothing like any king. He is nothing like any person. He is the Lord. And he sa- Isaiah goes on in his description. He says, with the train of his robe filling the temple. And, and what, what, what I get from this, at least, is we, we see the majesty of this king. You think about how earthly kings generally clothe themselves in very ornate crowns and robes and, and garments and all of these things, <clears throat> the, the train of God's robe is filling the temple. And, and you think about Solomon's temple and, and how big it was. You think about this throne scene that Isaiah is saying, that the, the train of God's robe is filling this temple. And I think just the picture seems to be that the, the temple is being overrun with the majesty of God. It cannot contain him. It cannot contain God and his majesty. Isaiah goes on in his description, and he turns his attention... Well, I think we're going to see his, his attention is not turned from, from what he is seeing with God. But some other, some other things that he's seeing here is, is these living creatures, these seraphim. Verse 2 in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, it says, Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. You think about these, these creatures, that are, these living creatures that are described here, these seraphim. And they are, 
I mean, you talk about majesty, they are majestic in their own right. They are like nothing that we see on this earth. They, these living creatures with six wings, you know, and, and you know, so they're, they're flying around, they're calling out to each other, um, and what happens when they call out? Well, the foundations of the thresholds tremble when they call out. See, see, see when the foundations tremble at the voice of him who was calling out. The voice of him who called out. This is the seraphim. The foundations of the temple, the foundations of the throne room are shaking as they are calling out to each other. And so these, be, these are powerful beings. These are glorious, majestic beings that, that, that Isaiah is seeing here in these seraphim. And we see, you know, with two of their wings, they're flying. Makes sense. That's, that's what you do with wings, right? But with two of their wings, they're covering their feet. And with the, with the other two, they're covering their face. <clears throat> Why are they doing that? Why are they covering their faces? Why are they covering their hands? I think we get the answer in what they are seeing and in what they are proclaiming. So what are they proclaiming? This is, this is the important part. This is, this is, I think, why Isaiah sees these seraphim, why he records these seraphim for us to see. What's important is what, they are, is what they themselves are seeing and their reaction to it. So they're, they're, they're flying there above the Lord, and they cry out to each other saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They are in awe of God's holiness here. And note, note to whom they are calling out. They're not calling out to the Lord. They're not directly praising God, saying, God, you are so holy. They're calling out to each other as if to say, you know, do you see how holy he is? These beings that, that are flying around God in his throne room, they, they are so taken by his majesty, so taken by his holiness that they're, they're calling out to each other. They can't help but, but call out to each other and say, are you seeing this? You see how holy he is. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is, this is their response to being in the presence of God. They are, they are overcome by his holiness and they have to tell each other about it. And I think because of this, because of God's holiness, because of what they're experiencing, that's why they're covering their faces. That's why they're covering their feet with their wings. This idea of, of almost shielding themselves, being in the presence of a being that is this holy. There, there is a reverence, there is a, um, joy, a, a reverence in what they're doing in, in covering their faces and covering their feet with their wings. <clears throat> and, and we see, you know, we already saw the temple was filling with his majesty, with his robe, but the seraphim tell us, you know, no, the whole earth is full of his glory. <clears throat> what does that tell us about God? That, that beings like these seraphim, when we see their reaction to being in his presence, a, a, a being that if we, if we were in the presence of a seraphim, we would probably be tempted to fall down and worship the seraphim, just based on, on the description that we have here. But these seraphim, they are just overtaken by the holiness of God. You know, they, they cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> what they're doing there, when, when they repeat the word holy three times, 
what's being done there is saying that he is the holiest. You know, in, in English we say, you know, good, better, best. That's how we kind of describe, how, how we describe things. You know, well, this is good, but this is better, but this is the, this is the best. In Hebrew, how they would describe things is they would repeat the word. So, okay, this is holy. Well, this is holy, holy. But the Lord, the God of hosts, is holy, holy, holy. There is none like him. He is the holiest. He, he, he is, just again, on a level of his own. He is the holiest. That is what these seraphim recognize in his presence. And so I think what, what we see here, what Isaiah saw, what he left for us to see, <clears throat> you know, we see God's authority. We see that he is the king. We see he is nothing like us. He is high and lifted up. And at his core, he is the holiest. He is completely separate. He is, he is just so, so other compared to anything else. God, God is holy, holy, holy. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. So do we understand who God is? Isaiah, the seraphim, understood who God was. They were there in his presence. Isaiah is blessed to be in his presence. And he gets this picture of who God is. And, and, and just a, a question for us today. Do we understand that this is real? That what Isaiah saw here, this is real. And this, is, this exists today. God's throne room exists today. And it is just like this today. This is a reality that God is sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. There are these incredible spiritual beings that are, are praising him for his holiness. Do we understand this? Is this something that, that resonates with you, that this is real? That this is real today, and it will be real tomorrow, and it will be real forever. That God is sitting on his throne, and that he is, a, he is the holiest God. This resonated with Isaiah. Because we see, first we see what he saw, but then we get his response. Verse 5, Isaiah speaking, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah has to confront very quickly exactly who he is when he comes into the presence of God. He comes into the presence of God. He sees this great scene that we've been discussing. And the, the first thing that enters into his mind is how unclean he is. How unclean he, he, he is. A, he is made acutely aware of his uncleanness when he, is, when he is forced to compare himself to the holy God. <clears throat> Not only does he recognize his own uncleanness, but he recognizes the uncleanness of his people, of, of, of the, nation of, the nation of Israel. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Josh Carter made this point when he was uh, teaching out of Isaiah 6 earlier here here at this church earlier this year. How, How good of a person do we think that Isaiah was compared to the average Hebrew at this time? You know, compared to the average Israelite here in the times of the divided kingdom, how good of a person do we think that Isaiah was? I think he was probably above average 
I think Isaiah was probably a, a, a pretty good Hebrew, a pretty good Jew. I think he was, I'm guessing he was probably a, a pretty good child of God. <clears throat> but when he comes face to face with the Lord of hosts, all he can recognize is his own uncleanness and how he's the exact same as everyone else around him. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. How good he may have been in some sort of hypothetical comparison to to his neighbor beside him has no bearing on reality when he comes face to face with the holy God. His lips are as unclean as anyone else in, in Judah. And again, we need to understand this as well. We need to understand our place before a holy God. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are, or how good your friends think you are, or how good your family thinks you are, or anything like that. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. We would do well to stop comparing ourselves to others, to stop comparing sins to other sins, because we're all people of unclean lips. And, and also, I think we need to come to grips with this because, you know, we, and, and rightfully so to some degree, we like to jump to the cleansing. And, and make no mistake, the hot coal is coming. But we, I think sometimes we, we glaze over our own wretchedness and get right to the cleansing that we have received when we can't lose sight of where we came from. Because Isaiah's recognition here of who he is is going to shape the rest of this narrative. <clears throat> so we, we, we must first see our, our sinful, unclean selves in the presence of a holy God. Because he alone is holy. And we, right along everyone else, right along with everyone else, are not. Earlier this year, um, Mary Catherine and I uh, went, went up to Acadia National Park in, up in Maine. And while we were there, one of the things we were able to do is we, we, uh, we climbed up a mountain there called Cadillac Mountain. And Cadillac Mountain is it's the, it's the highest point on the east, on the east coast. Um, it's not, not near as high as some other mountains that, in the country, so... It wasn't like we did something incredible, but it's, it's, it was the highest point on, on the East Coast. And, we, and, and we, 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 made, we made that climb while we were there. And during that climb, um, we, we had already been climbing for uh, o- over an hour at this point, um, and <clears throat> we kind of crested this little ridge and, there, and saw, I don't know, a couple hundred feet ahead of us, we saw what we thought was the summit. Um, there was even a little, like a little piece of metal somebody had driven into the ground for some reason. So we saw what we thought was the summit, and we got up there and we we're looking around because there's supposed to be like a marker, um, and we're not seeing a marker, and we're starting to think, okay, maybe this isn't actually the summit. This isn't actually the, you know, where we're trying to get to. <clears throat> and then uh, I felt kind of silly when when I realized this. I turned around, I looked, and like there's a there's a point. There's some something else off to the right that's like higher than where I am right now. And we're climbing the mountain that is the highest point on the East Coast. And I thought I got to the top, but then I look and I see there's this piece of land that's above me. 
I'm obviously not at the top of the highest mountain on the East Coast. And, you know, when we got to that false summit, what we thought was the summit, we were higher than most people on the East Coast at that point. But we weren't at the top. We weren't at the pinnacle. And so when, when, you, are, when you are in the presence of something, you, when you're in the presence of something of which there is no equivalent, no equivalent all that matters is your position relative to it. You know, we wanted to get to the top. We wanted to get to the pinnacle. <clears throat> we, it, we didn't want to be above most of the people on the East Coast. We wanted to be at the top, and we weren't there. And it was very clear. It, it is very clear when you are in the presence of something of which there is no equivalent that you are not there, that you are not at the top. It doesn't matter where everyone else is. You are only aware of the fact that you are down here, and the ultimate goal is way up there. And when you come face to face with the Lord of hosts, like Isaiah did, you are made very aware of your, of your uncleanness relative to his holiness. And, and the, only thing, the only thing that Isaiah can think is, I'm doomed. Woe is me, for I am ruined. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So what, what is the remedy for this situation? Did, did God bring him into his throne scene so Isaiah could recognize that and God would just smite him right then and there? What, 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 is, the, what is the remedy for this situation? Well, verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. So the seraphim flies to him, and what happens? Does he tell Isaiah that Isaiah is really overreacting a little bit? That he's being too hard on himself? No, no, because Isaiah was, was spot on in his interpretation of the situation. Isaiah was 100% correct when he said, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I have seen, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There's no way for, man, for sinful man to stand in the presence of a holy God. There's no way for sinful man to stand in the presence of a holy God unless he himself can be made holy. There is no loophole. There is no way for man to, to get around his uncleanness, to negotiate his way out of his uncleanness. The only way to stand in the presence of a holy God is for you yourself to be made holy, for you yourself to be cleansed. And Isaiah receives this cleansing. What happens? The, 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 the seraphim go, flies to the altar, grabs a burning coal with these tongs, comes to Isaiah, and touches his lips with this burning coal. Remember what Isaiah had said? He said, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. But then note what the seraphim says. Behold, this, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Isaiah had to be cleansed. He had to have his iniquity taken away. He had to have his sins forgiven to be in the presence of the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> and what role does Isaiah play in this cleansing? Well, he, he, plays, the, he plays the role of the one getting cleansed. He, there, there's nothing that, that Isaiah does in this process because there is nothing that he could do in this process. 
He can't negotiate with God a way that he can stand in God's presence. He has no right to approach the altar himself and and burn himself with a hot coal. He doesn't have the right to take the coal from the angel after the the angel has gotten it from the altar and then touch his lips and finish the job. There there is not 1% of this cleansing process that Isaiah could claim responsibility for. Because God, the King, the Lord of hosts, is the one responsible for his cleansing. The holy God is the only one who can impart holiness to sinful man, who can justify sinful man so that he can stand in his presence. And we need to understand this as well. And I think that this fact, that this, this fact makes a lot more sense and seems a lot more obvious when I, like Isaiah, can become acutely aware of how unclean I was in relation to this holy God. But can you, can you imagine what Isaiah feels after he receives this cleansing, though? He's in the presence of the king. He is made immediately aware of his uncleanness. And he knows that this is it for him because he, an unclean person, has seen the king. But then, for, perhaps for reasons beyond his understanding, he's granted this gift of cleansing. And with that, he's granted the privilege of staying in the presence of the holy God. Okay, just, I just imagine his feelings of relief, uh, of joy, of, of wonder. He, he's incredulous about how, why, how this has happened, why this has happened. You know, 60 seconds ago, I thought I was dead. But now you're telling me that I'm cleansed, that my iniquity has been removed, that my sins are forgiven. Overall, though, I think what we see, I think the response we see in Isaiah is one that he recognizes that he has an unpayable debt of gratitude toward the God who has just cleansed him. And what is his response because of that attitude? In verse 8, he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So God has this question, Whom shall I send? Who who will go for us? He's looking for somebody. He's looking for someone to participate in his plan. And does God specify in that question, does he specify what he wants them to do? Does he specify what this person is going to do? No, he, he doesn't. But Isaiah responds immediately and says, Here am I, send me. So what, what, what all does Isaiah not know when he volunteers for this? Well, he doesn't know anything at all about the mission. He doesn't know to whom he's being sent. He doesn't know the location where he's being sent. He doesn't know the time that he's being sent to. He doesn't know what he's going to be doing when he gets there. And in fact, in, in verse 9, he's going to start learning that it's going to be a really hard mission. God's going to send him to people who don't want to listen to what he has to say. And he's going to keep on preaching to them. But Isaiah doesn't know any of this when he responds to God and says, Here am I, send me. He doesn't know any of that. But what does he know? What does Isaiah know when he volunteers to, to, to be sent for God? You know, was he, was, he, was he just bored and just really looking for something, anything to do? What, what does he know when he volunteers to be sent? Well, he knows that he has been standing in the presence of the king, the Lord of hosts. He knows that he was a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He knows that about 60 seconds ago, he was ruined because he was a man of unclean lips standing in the presence of the king, the Lord of hosts. 
And he knows that he is somehow still standing in the presence of the king, the Lord of hosts, because he was just purified. And he was just told that his iniquity was taken away and that his sins were forgiven. Those are the things that Isaiah knows. And based on that knowledge, based, based on what he knows, based on what has just happened to him, his immediate response to God's question of whom shall I send, who will go for us, is here am I, send me. And really, what other response would have been appropriate given everything that had just happened? You know, could he have said, well, there are the seraphim, send them. No, they're, they're already busy doing what, what they're supposed to be doing. <clears throat> could he have maybe put his head down and, and thought about how unworthy he was and how underqualified he was? You know, he, I, just, I, I would blow it. What had God just done for him? God had just qualified him. That's the point. He was unqualified. God just qualified you. So the only appropriate response to the cleansing is, here am I, send me. Whatever God's plan is, whatever God is looking for, whatever and wherever the need is, here am I, send me. This is Isaiah's response, and this is the only appropriate response to the cleansing that God offers. And and, and note, note here, God doesn't say, Isaiah, I really appreciate the enthusiasm, but I'm looking for someone who was purified more than 15 seconds ago. God doesn't say that. God says, all right, here's your mission. Because what God wants, what God is looking for, is someone who is willing. Someone who is willing to say, yes, wherever you want, wherever the mission is, whatever the mission is, here I am, send me. That's what God is looking for, and that's what he found in Isaiah, and he said, here's your mission. And so I hope as, as we've been talking through this passage, we've been thinking and we've been seeing some, some application, but I want to just go through and, and you know, pointedly pull some application out for us. So let's go back to the beginning. Do you understand who God is? Because without that, none of the rest of this matters. Do you understand who God is? Do, we, do you understand his holiness, his, his just complete otherness? Do you understand that he is real? Again, do you understand that there is a real throne and that he is currently, right now, as we speak, sitting on it and reigning? That he is high and lifted up? Do you understand this? Do you, do, do you understand that God isn't just an idea? God isn't a legend that we tell each other about so that we live good lives. God is the king and he is reigning. So do you understand this? Does this mean something to you? The next question is, do you understand who you are? Do do you understand your uncleanness? Do you understand where you came from? Do do you understand who you were or maybe who you still are in comparison to a holy God? We, We need to stop comparing ourselves to other humans and start comparing ourselves to the King, the Lord of hosts, because that's the pinnacle, and not one of us has ever been there. And again, we have to get this point. I can't be cleansed. I can't stand in God's presence if I don't first understand my own filthiness. What if Isaiah's response, like his first response to the throne scene, was something like, hmm, that's pretty impressive. But what if his response was, man, that's, that's a lot of smoke. That's a lot of robes filling the temple. 
or, or, or what if his response was even something like, wow, what an awesome God. He, he would have missed the point. We t- Jonathan talked about self-examination a, a, a little bit ago. For a man of unclean lips, none of those responses would have been appropriate or would even make sense. Because again, when I am forced to confront the holiness of the King of Kings, the Lord of Hosts, then the, the gigantic elephant in the room at that point is my own uncleanness and my own unworthiness to stand before him. Nothing else matters at that moment. So do we understand this? Does this mean something to you? Next question is, do you understand what it takes to stand in God's presence? We, must, we, we all must be cleansed. That is the only hope that we have. Otherwise, we, we, each of us, are most certainly ruined, like Isaiah thought he was. We, we, we need, we have to have the cleansing that only God can provide. And thanks be to God that he has provided it. Turn, turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear." From their eye. <clears throat> this, this is my hope. This is the only way that I will stand before a holy God, is if I have been washed with the blood of the Lamb. Do you understand this? Does this mean something to you? Turn, turn to Romans 6. This is our only hope to stand in God's presence. Romans chapter 6. We have to be washed with the blood of the Lamb. How how am I washed with... If I I understand God's holiness, if I understand my uncleanness, then I better be asking, how can I be washed with the blood of the Lamb? Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. So the, the gracious king, the gracious lord of hosts has provided a way for us to be, to be cleansed. He has provided the burning coal in the form of the blood of his son. So have your robes been washed in that blood? Have you been baptized into the blood of Christ, dying with him and being raised up to live forever with him? Because this is the only way that any of us will ever stand in the presence of a holy God. 
And so if you have been cleansed, if you have, if you have had your robes washed, do you understand what the only appropriate response is to that cleansing? Is here am I, send me. And so the question, the question this morning is, is this your response? If, and that's something that only you can answer. You have to look at your life. You have to look at how you spend your life and, and, and reckon with if, whether or not it says, here am I, send me. Is that what your life says? Is that the story that your life is telling? Or, or are you getting sidetracked from your mission? And I'm not talking about sin when, I, when I'm talking about getting sidetracked here. That, that, that's a different story. What I'm, what I'm talking about is are you filling your time with things other than the mission that God has given you? There, there, is, there is a lot of work to be done in this world that is broken by sin. And our job, if we have been cleansed, our job is to, to work with God as he sets things right. I have to be telling as many people as I can about him. I have to be encouraging my brothers and my sisters and helping them grow. I have to be studying with them. I have to be engaging with them. I have to be helping my fellow man as often as I have opportunity because doing that is going to help me teach them the truth. And so the question that each of us has to ask is, is my life about this mission? Or is it full of other things? Uh, just, just for example, is your life, is your life full of work? <clears throat> and we need to work. We are expected to work. Work is one of the blessings that God gave to Adam all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 before the fall. Adam's job was to tend and keep the garden. So work, work has been here from before the fall. Work is a good thing that God has given to humanity. But if work is taking up so much of my time that I can't be doing all the things that I need to do in the mission that God has given me, then I need to find a new job. God, God would most certainly be glorified if we learned to live without something so that we could better serve Him. And that's just one example, and I, I won't go down, I won't go you know, detail down all the lists. Again, this is something you have to ask yourself. But if work, if work doesn't fit your situation, then think for a minute about what does. You know, may, may, maybe, it is, maybe it's hunting, maybe it's family time, maybe it's sports, maybe it's social media. Whatever it is, you've got to answer the question, and you've got to lay it aside and be about your king's business. Because that's the only appropriate response to, to having your, your, your sins washed away by the blood of the lamb, by, by the blood of the king's son. And so these are things that we have to be asking ourselves. Do I understand who God is? Do I understand who I am? Do I understand where I came from? Do I understand how I was cleansed? And do I understand what my only appropriate response is to that cleansing? <clears throat> I can't speak to, to where all of you are in, as, you look, as, as you ask yourselves those questions. But if there's something that we can do for you this morning, we would love to. Because our, our, our purpose here is to glorify God together and to, help each other, and to help each other do that, to help each other glorify Him. And, and following Isaiah's example is how we're going to glorify Him. 
And so if there's something that we can do for you, if, if, you need, if you need your robes washed, if you need to be baptized into the blood of his son, then we, we will do that for you today, and God will cleanse you of your uncleanness. If you need encouragement to continue in that walk, then, then we would love to encourage you. It just whatever you need, please let it be known. Uh, and you can let it be known now as we stand and as we sing. I am resolved no longer to lay.